tell you, that setup makes you think you're going into the new Ant-Man movie, but you're not. You're coming to the Heroes series here at Crossroads, and I'm so glad that you are here today, that you have joined us to dive into this idea of identifying the traits of what made some of these heroes in the Old Testament and the Bible, who they were, and what separated them from everyone else in their generation that made them great. I, I want to learn everything that I can from these people who've gone before us, because we stand on their shoulders, and I'm convinced that if we can apply the principles that these guys mastered in their lives and put those into practice in our lives, that we too can make a difference in our generation. Because here's the reality, everybody is a hero to someone. And to that person, what you say and what you do, it has a huge amount of influence. And I want all of us to be leaning into the influence that we have and decide today, what kind of heroes do we want to be? Where do we want to point the people in our lives that are looking up to us? And what direction do we want to point them? And how is God going to use us in that journey? Uh, we're gathered together here today to celebrate uh, the idea that God is with us, that God is here, and that no matter what you are going through, that, that he deeply cares about you. And we're talking today about a guy named Joseph. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament stories, that's okay. I'll fill you in. Uh, but he is one of the heroes that we see in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And we've talked about Noah. Noah was the guy who built the ark and who saved the world from a flood. We realized that his superhero characteristic was that he found favor with God. Noah stayed focused on serving God when no one else did. He chose to do what was right, and his life found favor with God, and it changed the course of history for all of mankind because he was faithful. Last week, we talked about Abraham. Abraham, the guy being uh, who God saw on planet Earth and said, I'm going to bless all of the nations of Earth through you, and, and I'm going to fulfill my covenant through you, Abraham. And Abraham, he was the guy who went to a place where he didn't know he was going to go. He's the guy who had to wait 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. But Abraham, every step of the journey, he trusted God. And that's what separated him from everyone else in his generation. God's blessing and favor rested on him. And the blessing that would come from Abraham ultimately is Jesus, the one who saves all of us, who sets us free. That was God's covenant, God's promise that he made to him. Well, if you fast forward a few generations, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, then you have Joseph. And this story today is, it's a really powerful one and it's a necessary one because it applies to every single one of us. And I just want to encourage you that as, as we come across the part of this story that applies to you, don't don't lean away from it and go, ah, this is, might be uncomfortable. No, I would encourage you to lean into it. Because I believe these are moments that set us up for breakthrough, that these are moments that allow us to keep moving forward, to continue trusting God like Abraham did, to continue living in a way that finds favor with God like Noah did, to ultimately fulfill the purpose and the story that God created us for. Because here's the thing about Joseph that we learn. We learn that heroes keep moving forward. Joseph uh, was the favorite son. Uh, you know what? Let's just have a fun moment today. And this is for everybody. If you're in St. Pete today, Mishawaka, Nashville, you're joining online. Listen, just for your own safety, would everyone, wherever you are today, just would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? This is a, a sacred and holy moment. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you would say, Tim, without a shadow of a doubt, when I was growing up, I was the favorite son or daughter of my parents. Would you just be willing to raise your hand? I see that that hand. I see that. Now, quick look around. Look around and see those hands. Now you know, now you know where everybody stands unequivocally, 
I was the favorite, all right? I was the favorite. Uh, you know, my sister's watching in St. Pete today. Take that, Krista. What are you going to say? I've got the stage right now. Uh, unequivocally, in all seriousness, this is a hilarious conversation uh, and a story that you need to know. When I was growing up, there were three of us. It was me, uh, my younger sister, Krista, and my youngest brother, Andrew. Andrew is eight years younger than me. My sister is three years younger than me. And uh, we would go visit my grandpa and grandma Schaefer. They lived in Illinois. And <laughs> these were always special trips. Oriana, Illinois, a little town of like 500 people in the middle of nowhere. This was my grandpa that I've talked to you about before. He was a little neurotic. He painted his trees white so that the ants wouldn't climb them. <laughs> which just made the ants stick out even more because black ants on white paint. Like, well, they're, no, there's still ants there, Grandpa. Uh, I don't know. He's the guy who made his own garage door. You'd pull up into his house, he'd get out, and he'd, he'd pull the door open and drive his car in and then close the door. And then there was a door in the door that he would walk through on the way. That was my grandpa, just kind of an odd guy. But my sister and I were clearly his favorite grandchildren, so much so that he would bring us into another room. He'd be like, Tim, Krista, come here. And we'd go into what he would call his den at the time. Back in the day, we had dens in our homes. We'd go into his den, he'd say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you guys some money, but I don't want you to tell your little brother. <laughs> That's real life. He'd give us 10 bucks, and when you're like eight or nine years old, you're like, he's my favorite grandpa ever. He gave me $10. You can buy that favoritism. It's, it's a thing. But he would do that. He's like, I'm going to give you $10, but don't tell Drew because I'm not giving him any. Like, this is real life. That's amazing. Thing gave my brother a little bit of a complex. We would give him like a dollar. We wouldn't tell him we got 10. We'd still have nine. Like, here's a dollar from grandpa. He loves you. <laughs> It's all kinds of issues in, in our family. Uh, but here's the thing. Like, why am I telling you that story? Joseph, who we're talking about today, was clearly the favorite son, all right? Abraham has his son Isaac. Isaac has his son Jacob. Jacob actually has 12 sons. But the one who is clearly his favorite is Joseph. So much so that actually Joseph has this really nice, like, high-end coat that is made for him by his dad. It's the, called the coat of many colors. It was a very expensive, very ornate robe that Jacob gave to his son Joseph and basically delineated him. He's my favorite. It doesn't matter that I have 10, 10 other brothers that are older than Joseph. Like, no, Joseph's the guy. And Joseph knew it, all right? If there was ever any fault with Joseph, it's just the fact that he was a little bit smug about it. Like, he went around in his coat, and he had dreams. God gave him dreams from a very young age. And he would tell his brothers, who were already irritated with him because they, had, they didn't have the nice coat. Dad bought him a coat. He didn't buy me a nice coat. And Joseph would tell his brothers dreams. Guys, I had this amazing dream. I had this dream that everyone around is going to bow down to me someday. You guys, you're going to bow down and worship me someday. That does not set you up to have goodwill with your brothers or with your sister. Like, what are you doing? Like, stop it. Stop it. And so there, there was this tension between Joseph and his brothers. He was dearly loved by his father. But there was serious tension between Joseph and his brothers because he was a little smug. He came across a little arrogant, a little cocky. So much so that, that here's what happens in the life of Joseph. And this is difficult. I, this is not really easy, but this is what happens. It says that Joseph went out to go see his brothers. This was a mission he was set on by his dad. Go check on your brothers, see how they're doing. And honestly, Jacob actually did tell Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers, tell me what they're doing. So not only... <laughs> 
not only Joseph has the nice coat, Joseph has the dreams, you're going to worship me. He's also being sent by his dad, go check on your brothers, tell me what they're doing. Like he's a professional tattletale. Like nobody likes him. Nobody likes him. He's that guy. And here's what it says in Genesis 37. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming out to see him, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Like, this has gone up a level, all right? This is getting serious. This is not good. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, these pits, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They were really irritated by those dreams. When Reuben heard this, he's the oldest, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So let's, let's stop here for a second. This is important. This is actually the first stop of many for Joseph, and he's thrown into the pit. I mean, this is not good, all right? We're going to call stop one Pittsburgh, all right? Just, just go with me on this. This is Pittsburgh. Uh, no hate toward the actual city of Pittsburgh, but I mean, it is the home of the Steelers, so who really likes Pittsburgh? I mean, nobody, nobody. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, first stop is Pittsburgh. Know this, the dreams that, that Joseph had were dreams that God had actually given him. And he was excited about those dreams. He believed in God's vision for his life. He actually had dreams of being really, truly great and, and being used by God in, in great and mighty ways. Those were the dreams that God had given Joseph. And honestly, they would be the fulfillment of the continued promise that God had given Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that would, that would live on through Joseph. And so Joseph was right to be excited about this. If God had given him these dreams, the same God that had gone before him with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then why not get excited about these dreams of greatness that God had given him? But what does it look like when you have these dreams, you really believe that God has something special for you, and you find yourself in Pittsburgh. Because <laughs> this isn't how the story was supposed to go. Joseph, who has dreams of greatness, who really truly believes that God has told him, I've got great plans for you. I have a purpose and I have a plan specifically for you. How does that work when suddenly your brothers, your, your very own family, treats you this way? You find yourself thrown in the bottom of a pit. They've taken your robe. They've left you for dead. You're alone. You're abandoned. You're abused. How does that work? How does that work when we en endure and, and come upon difficult and painful situations in our lives? Here's the thing. I, I wish that that wasn't the case. I wish that we didn't have to endure pain, but the reality is I will experience pain. You will experience pain. Uh, we always talk about the promises of God and how great they are. There are a couple that are not great to hear. Jesus said, these are his words, in this world you will face trouble, all right? You're going to have difficult moments, but the beauty about that promise is it doesn't end there, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're going to face trouble. Good luck. <laughs> That's not where it ends. Jesus says, you're going to face trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I'm still with you. And when you find yourself in the pit, 
I'm still there with you. Might not seem like it because you're hurting. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel abused. But God is still with you. He's with you in those painful moments. And I want to encourage you today that if you are hurting right now, if you're experiencing a moment where you feel like you're in the pit, as difficult as this is to try to wrap your mind around, there is purpose in the pain. God is still with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. And a lot of times he uses these moments to help us become who he created us to be. And something I want you to think about today that's just a a comment and a statement that we're going to come back to at the end is this. God does not care about what you are going through as much as he cares about who you are becoming while you wait. Can we just stop and think about that for a second? That doesn't say God doesn't care about what you're going through because he does. You are dearly and you are deeply loved by God. Never forget, Jesus is the answer to every question that we ask. When we, when we put our trust in Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I believe in you, what you're doing is you're changing your whole worldview. Now you, you believe that you have a, an origin where you were created in the image of God. You believe that your life has a purpose. You were created by him and for him. Now my life has purpose. I have hope for a future because there's an eternity that's planned for me with him in heaven. Putting my trust in Jesus changes everything. So God cares about what you're going through, very much so. But what we're focusing on here is the reality that he doesn't care as much about what you're going through as much as he cares about who you are becoming while you wait. And the reason that's significant is because God cares very deeply about your heart. He cares about your character. He cares about who you are. Our our relationship with God is just that. It's it's a relationship. It's not some uh, salvation by works experience. It's not anything that I earn. It's me trusting Jesus. It's me becoming more like him on this journey of life that we go through. And that can be difficult Because life throws you curveballs and suddenly you find yourself in the pit and you begin asking, God, where are you? Why am I hurting like this? How does this fit the plan that you've called me to? I I had dreams. I thought my life had purpose. God, I thought I was your child. I thought I was made in your image. What's going on? I think at some level, all of us have been in that place. And I just want to encourage you today that if you find yourself in a pit, you can do one of two things. You can quit, but you won't have a story. You can quit or you can keep moving forward. And what makes Joseph amazing, what makes him a hero in the Old Testament is that Joseph never gave up. He never quit. He kept moving forward. And the pit was just the first stop, all right? Pittsburgh, he was only there for a little while. Then he moved on. But... Can we just talk about this for a second? Because the pit, the pit is messy. The pit is the place that nobody likes to be. When you're dealing with health issues, when your life gets turned upside down, when you either make a choice, you're going, oh, what have I just done? Or something happens to you that's completely out of your control. No matter how you find yourself in the pit, there you are. And you're having a real hard time wrapping your mind around what, what is the purpose of this moment? How do I navigate this pain? 
And I just want to encourage you today because, man, as much as we would like to say there's like this cookie-cutter answer for life and like, oh, no matter what you face, here's just follow these prescriptive options, A, B, C, D, and you're good to go. Like, life doesn't work like that. I wish it did. It'd be amazing if that was the case. Oh, you're struggling with this? Oh, just go to the doctor, get the pill, and you're good to go. It's fantastic. It'd be amazing. Like, oh, all your pain's gone, fantastic. Well, it's not always that easy. And here's what we're committed to at Crossroads and this church family. We're committed to <laughs> embracing the messiness of life and, and walking alongside you and figuring out how you keep moving forward. Because God doesn't intend for us to stay in the pit Man, those are the times in life where we're called to step out of our comfort zones, right? Those are the times in life where we are being tested. It's the trials. Sometimes it's temptations that we have to overcome. Whatever that looks like, God doesn't intend for us to stay in the pit. You got to keep moving forward because if you quit, you won't have a story. Joseph has an incredible story. It's because he didn't quit. He kept moving forward. And our goal here at Crossroads is to help you keep moving forward when you find yourself in the pit. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in what it says in John chapter 1. Uh, what an amazing chapter of the Bible that is. If you ever come out to our Christmas Eve services, I will usually quote John 1, 1 through 14, because it is just a beautiful capture of, of who Jesus is and how much he loves us. And, and John 1, 14 is an amazing verse. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, Jesus, who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And I got to tell you, that verse is really, really powerful because it sets up this beautiful dichotomy of, of who Jesus is and, and how he came to planet Earth. Because it, it doesn't say he came full of grace or truth, right? He came full of grace and truth. And I think a lot of, a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, I think, I think we tend to fall into the trap of leaning too heavily on one of those or the other, too much on grace or too much on truth, because it's easier. It's much more clearly defined. If you just lean in on, on God's grace, then you can go, oh man, God's, God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. And that is absolutely true. That's something we say here all the time. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You find yourself in the pit right now, you feel abandoned. Listen, God still loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. But the trap that we fall into if all we do is focus on grace is the trap that, well, God is a gracious God. He forgives me. I'm free, I can do whatever I want to and just live in God's grace. There's no rules for me. I live how I want and I'm walking in grace. Well, that's abusing God's grace. That's not how we were created to be. In fact, in, in the New Testament, Paul writes about that all the time. Like, what, shall we just go ahead and do whatever we want because God has forgiven us? No, no, because our response to the love that God has for us, Jesus clearly said this, he, he calls us to obey him. If, if, if we truly love him, we show him our love by being obedient to what he's asked us to do. And our obedience is the journey of continually saying yes to Jesus. When he speaks, I listen. When he asks me to take a step out of my comfort zone, the answer is yes. If there's something I need to lay down in my life, Jesus, it's yours. If it's a step out of my comfort zone, a step of faith that he's asking me to take, Jesus, I'm yours. That's the process. That's the life of becoming who God created you to be. And if you're just willing to say yes, I'm promising you right now, you will find yourself exactly where God created you to be, using the gifts and abilities that he created you with for just this time. 
Yeah, I really do believe that at the end of the day, that's how we live into the purpose that God created us for, how we become who he created us to be. But it's not just all about grace. God also came with truth. And what happens when we lean in too far to the other side of truth? Well, then it's, it's all the, the holiness of God and the rules and the regulations that go with that. And if you're reading through the 365 challenge, to read through the Bible in here right now, you guys, we are in the middle of the book of Leviticus. Give me a cheer for Leviticus. <laughs> Yeah, there is not a lot of excitement for that one. I know. Leviticus is a hard book to read. Like, honestly, I would never rate the books of the Bible like 1 through 66. Like, 66 is the worst. But Leviticus is down there, okay? It's down there. And why is that? Well, it's just, a, it's a whole book in the Bible, 27 chapters of just all of the rules and the regulations to follow. And the whole point is the Israelites were called to follow all of these rules to set themselves apart. This was how they were to make themselves holy in the presence of God. And it's all about the rules. And that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he came to change that. He said, hey, that's the Old Covenant. I have a new covenant. This is a better covenant. You want to be holy? You want to be made right in the sight of God? Put your trust in me. I'm, I'm going to pay the price that you can't pay. That's, that's the amazing promise and gift that we have in Jesus. He makes us right with God. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who sets us free. There's nothing better than when you put your trust in Jesus and decide to follow him. He changes everything. So what happens when we fall into the trap of just being all truth? Well, we go back to that idea of rules and regulations. Like, well, this is the truth, and these are the rules. So this is what we look like. This is how we talk. This is what we do. This is how we comb our hair. This is how we do this. And that's not what God called us to either, because then you're, you're either in the club or you're out of the club. There's insiders and there's outsiders, and those are traps that we fall into. And I think where God calls us to live is somewhere in the middle, and the middle is messy. It's trying to figure the right balance of grace and truth. It's meeting people where they are. And I love this phrase that we use all the time here at Crossroads. God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to become more like him. And that's the life. That's the journey. And it's messy. And sometimes you find yourself in the pit and you don't know how to, to keep moving forward, but that's why we're here. We're in this journey together. Man, if you're part of this family, man, when you're walking through the pit, know this. You're going to have people who love you, who are going to be praying for you, who are going to be there for you to seek counsel with. We're, we're on this journey together. And we've formed a new partnership in our community recently that I wanted to share with you today because it, it meets people right in the middle of the mess. When you're not sure which way to turn and you're trying to figure out what the next step is, we've formed a partnership with an organization that is really on the front lines of helping people navigate some of the most difficult choices and the difficult moments in life. And that partnership is one that we're gonna watch in just a second. We've got a four minute video that we're gonna show that tells an amazing story, but it's one that navigates a really difficult topic. And that topic is the topic of abortion. And I wanna lean into that for just a second because every time that topic gets brought up, let's just be real, it's emotionally charged because it affects a lot of people. And I think politically, we can get caught in that, that game of, well, are you pro-life or pro-choice, and what does that look like? And unequivocally, unapologetically, crossroads, we are always going to believe in the sanctity of human life. We're always going to say, hey, we're going to do everything we can to protect life. That's, that's who we are. That's what we believe in. And we're going to partner with organizations in our community that provide care for mothers and their children and, and help them navigate the messiness 
of what it looks like of, of the pain of, of being in a pit and not knowing what direction to go. I think the beauty of being part of, of a family like this is that we can partner with people who are in the pit and help them take steps that keep them moving forward. And that's who we want to be. We don't want to lead by making statements about different political agendas. Guys, at Crossroads, we want to lead the way by taking action and doing our part to help people walk through these messy moments in life. I think that's how we make the biggest difference. And so I'm excited to share this partnership that's formed uh, with a local organization in our community. And I encourage you to lean into the story and just think about what it looks like to keep moving forward. Now let's watch this story together. I'm Doriana Steffens. I'm 16 years old. I live in Elkhart, Indiana, and I'm 26 weeks pregnant. No parent ever wants to hear their own child say that they're having a child, so it was kind of scary. So I wrote it all down on like a letter of what I was going to say to them, and I went and I told them, and my mom and dad were like shocked. She sat us down and started to read us a letter and she was upset and crying and before she got through the letter I just, are you pregnant? She said, yeah. When I told them I was very emotional. My mom went out and she got pregnancy tests and my dad really talked me through it a lot and he was like, he wasn't rude, he wasn't mad. I understood for her that it was extremely hard for her to come to us and tell us that. I mean, yeah, I was mad, I was upset, but like, that doesn't do you any good, especially when you're trying to have a, a serious conversation with your child. That's already scared, nervous, crying. So really, you know, I just wanted to reassure her that, you know, no matter what happened, we will always be here for you. So then when my mom came home, we took pregnancy tests and they came out positive. So we were like, oh my goodness. I was just scared because like, I really didn't know what to do. Here in like nine, nine months, I'm gonna be a father. Like I'm gonna have a whole kid, I'm gonna have a whole baby that I need to take care of. I was calling places. Um, where can I go? What, what do I need to do? And then it was like, oh, I need to call the Women's Care Center. We sat down and we talked with Lynn, the counselor here. They were a little, a little frantic um, because this was all new and they just weren't quite sure what to do. And, we don't have to make a decision right this minute. Let's go over some options. And she sat me alone and she just was talking to me and she was making sure I was okay. And she asked me like, so are you like, what do you want to do? Do you have any plans? And then I kind of told her like, well, yeah, I don't want to have a baby. I kind of want to get an abortion. She was like talking me through it. She didn't like judge me or anything. And then I thought, well, it would be good if maybe we could get an ultrasound. So I went and sought out and said, can we possibly get her in for an ultrasound? And it's me, my mom, Brayden, and my dad. We're all in this ultrasound room. The next thing we know, we're all just staring at the screen, looking inside my stomach, and we just hear dun 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 dun, like the heartbeat. And I seen Brayden's face. He turned around. He said, <laughs> and I was like. Oh my gosh, and I looked at my mom and dad and they were just crying and like, it, from that moment it wasn't just two lines on a stick. It wasn't for Lynn pushing for that ultrasound that day. Who's to say we wouldn't have found a place to go to that night or later on that day, you know, or the next day to have the abortion. 
From that moment on, we knew like, okay, so this baby is not gonna be aborted. We're gonna have this baby. They saw the heartbeat and they were all in. And so I got to come in and like the really fun parts of this. So Brayden and I are having a daughter, Brayliana. And we just got to see her. We've got to see her grow. I keep bringing them back because it's so much fun to see her grow. I went up to my friend, Pastor Tim, and I said, Tim, you've got to hear about this place. I mean, and I just had tears in my eyes telling him one of the stories that I had just gone through. And he said, Katie, how could we partner with them? I mean, we are so blessed to have so many contributors to this um, nonprofit organization. And so when we have a place like Crossroads that wants to partner with us, we're so thrilled because we couldn't run without their partnership and their donations. The Women's Care Center has been our family. Go to the Women's Care Center. They will literally help you so much. I'm saying this because it's true. Like I've never felt someone other than my family care for me as much as they do. Uh, I, I want to lean in <laughs> to the messiness of what it means to be in the pit, right? I, I want to be able to partner with people who are not sure what they're gonna do. Are they gonna quit or are they gonna keep moving forward? And I, I love this partnership that we're able to lean into at the Women's Care Center and the relationships that we already have on the ground. I just wanna give a huge thank you. Doriana and uh, Braden are in the front row right here. Can we just give them a round of applause? They're with us today. I, I love that. <laughs> thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Um, and I want to encourage you today. Everybody has a Connect card uh, on, their, on their chair today. And I want to encourage you uh, to do two things. And this might not apply to everyone who's watching right now. But listen, if you would like to learn more about how you can personally help and engage with this new partnership, uh, please fill out that Connect card with your name and contact info and just write down, I'd like to help. Um, and I'd like to shift gears here, too, because I want to address something really, really important. Um, anytime we talk about this topic, man, it's emotionally charged for a reason. There are a lot of people who've experienced abortions in their life. And listen, I know that that can be a really difficult thing to experience and a difficult range of emotions to navigate walking through something like that. And I want you to know today that if that's something that you experienced in your life and years ago you made a decision and maybe you just live with regret from that, I want you to know, number one, you're forgiven, okay? And you can be set free from that. And if you're struggling with that and you're just needing healing, you need to talk to somebody, I would say today, fill out that Connect card and just write, I need healing. And one of our female staff will reach out to you and talk with you about how you take that next steps because you guys, that isn't an unforgivable sin. That's, a, that's something that you can seek forgiveness for, that you can be set free from. And I want you to walk with your head held high. You are a child of God. I want you to walk in his forgiveness, and I want you to walk in his freedom. All right? That's important. Uh, can we just give a round of our applause to this partnership and to the people who've helped make that possible? I, I'm excited about what that looks like in the future and, and how we can make a difference on the ground with people who navigate the difficulty of the pit. And I just, I want to tie this back to the story of Joseph, if I can, for just a couple minutes. And I recognize last week, it was Super Sunday, they did a whole halftime show just spoofing how long my sermons are, so I'm, I'm taking that into consideration today and trying to keep it shorter. Uh, here's the thing. Joseph finds himself in the pit. 
everything that he'd been dreaming about, the purpose that he thought he'd been created for, it's just been turned upside down, and he doesn't know which way to go. The thing that separated Joseph from everyone else in his generation was that he never gave up. He didn't quit. He kept moving forward. And so many times, I think in life, we'll we'll say, God, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep moving forward. We kind of expect, like, all right, I've made the right choice. God's going to honor that. Everything is going to be great now. And, And then we struggle when it's not. Joseph, he was taken out of that pit. He was sold as a slave into Egypt. That's how his story continues. He finds himself in the house of a guy named Potiphar. And He could have given up. He could have just said, all right, I'm going to be a slave and just kind of mailed it in and live life. But he didn't do that. He continued giving his absolute best effort. He showed who who he was, what his character was all about. He kept moving forward. Potiphar recognized this guy's a winner. He gave him everything in his home to lead. He was in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And you're thinking, all right, Joseph's finally doing it. In his mind, he's probably going, all right, finally, my story's starting to get better. I'm going to find the blessing and favor of God. Then what happens? Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and it describes Joseph in Genesis 39 as a very handsome and well-built man. So I don't know what you think about that. Picture that person. Don't picture that person in your mind, actually. Just uh, whatever. Um, and so he's this handsome, good-looking guy, and Potiphar's wife keeps coming on to him like, Joseph, come to bed with me. I mean, this is literally how the story goes. He's like, no, how could I do that to God? How could I do that to Potiphar? No. And so finally, she falsely accuses him of trying to sleep with her, and he gets thrown in jail. Like, the dude goes to prison. It's like, again, like, what is happening? Why am I experiencing this pain? But again, he doesn't give up. Joseph kept moving forward. In prison, you can mail it in and say, I'm done. No, Joseph kept moving forward. In prison, he did such good work and got the notice of all the people in charge that the prison guards gave him all the responsibility of running the prison for them. They're basically coming in, giving the keys to Joseph. They're on break for the rest of their shift, right? Like Joseph runs the place. And it's in prison that Joseph is allowed to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. So now he's one step away from the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he interprets dreams that they had that were going to come true, and he interprets them correctly. And he's thinking, all right, listen, when you get back to the Pharaoh, tell him what I did for you and, and remember me. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got you. They totally forget about him, right? He's stuck in prison for years. And finally, at the end of this story, Pharaoh has dreams years later, dreams that he can't understand, weird dreams. Everybody have a weird dream? I have weird dreams all the time. I can't, I I laugh with my kids about the dreams. I have weird dreams. I just want you to know that. Sometimes I get chased by alligators. I don't know what that's all about, but that happens. (laughs) I've dreamt that there are snakes in the bed. I wake up in the middle of the night, Dana, there's snakes in the bed. Ah!" (laughs) That really happened. Okay. Uh, Pharaoh has this dream. Seven fat cows rise out of the ground. Seven skinny cows rise up and eat the fat cows, and then they're still skinny. He's like, it's a weird dream. Somebody explain this to me, and no one can explain it. And it's then that the guy that works for Pharaoh says, hey, I remember this guy, Joseph. Where is he? Oh, he's in prison still. And it's at that moment that they go call for Joseph. They clean him up, bring him before Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets his dream. He says, hey, those seven fat cows were seven bountiful years for Egypt. The seven skinny cows are seven years of famine that are going to follow. And those seven years of famine are going to be so bad that people will forget the years of plenty. It's going to devastate everything. And Joseph actually comes up with a plan. He says, Pharaoh, if I were you, this is what I would do. For the next seven years, store away as much as you can so that when those lean years come, you can be in charge. You'll have enough food to protect your people. And it's in that moment that God shows Joseph total favor. 
total blessing. Pharaoh says, well, who in, in all of my kingdom is more suitable to lead this charge than you? Joseph, I will put you in charge of this. You will be second in charge of all of Egypt. And it's then that Joseph realizes he kept moving forward. Everything that he endured throughout his journey had brought him to this moment, 13 years from being thrown into the pit to standing before Pharaoh, had prepared him for that moment so he could fulfill the purpose and plan that God had for him. That's the story of Joseph. It's a story of persistence. It's a story of grit. He didn't give up. He kept moving forward. And I want to encourage you today, you might be experiencing the pain that comes from being in the pit. And that pain can come from a lot of different areas. It can come from choices that you've made that have resulted in consequences that you're dealing with. Ugh, I'm in the pit. How did I make the choices to get here? Sometimes you find yourself in the pit due to circumstances completely outside of your control. But what I want to challenge you today is that if you find yourself in the pit, don't give up. If you quit now, you won't have a story. Keep moving forward. Man, put together those traits of, of Noah and Abraham. Continue making it your number one focus of finding favor with God. Keep him first. Even though you're in the pit, keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, keep trusting in his promise for you and his provision for your life like Abraham did. And keep moving forward. Because God is going to show up. He is faithful. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe, maybe you just need to start by just giving it to Jesus. Maybe you just need to say yes to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. I need to set, be set free. Jesus, I need you. And if that's you, Crossroads, you know how this goes. Every time we meet, we give everybody a chance to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Because I'm not going to assume that everybody here already has said yes to Jesus or knows him. But I want you to know that in this moment, you can be forgiven and you can be set free. Jesus changes everything. You've been made in his image. You've been created for a purpose that he prepared for you before the beginning of time. You've been prepared to spend eternity with him, and that all happens by saying yes to Jesus. And so, if you need to do that for the very first time, I want to make this as easy as I possibly can. Would you just join all of us in saying this prayer together? It just simply goes as this, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. See, if it was all, that's worth clapping for. That's worth clapping for. Life gets messy. Sometimes you're moving a table and it spills all the stuff over, right? In a beautiful moment, right? <laughs> you can quit or you can keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. I want to remind you today about something that we said when we started. Uh, God does not care as much about what you're going through as much as he cares about you and about who you are becoming while you wait, while you endure the time that you have to spend in Pittsburgh. And so I want to encourage you today that if you are struggling, and I'll even open up this far, if, if you just need 
someone to pray for you. If you need to just surrender the situation you're in to Jesus and, and be anointed and say, God, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving this situation that I'm in to you. I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm staying focused on you. It's yours. But if you find yourself in a place where you've just been struggling and you need someone to pray for you, you need to be anointed, I'm just going to invite you as we sing this last song to come on forward. And we're going to have several people on our pastoral team here who are willing to anoint you and pray with you and just surrender the difficulty and the trial of the pit. Just surrender that moment to Jesus and give it to him. So I just want to encourage you today, if that's you, take advantage of this opportunity. Be anointed. Let us pray for you. And let's not quit. Let's keep moving forward. Would you stand with me as we close and let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you today for who you are, for the way that you love us. You love us, God, with an extravagant love. And you love us just the way you are, that we are. And we're so grateful for that because we've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short. Nobody's perfect. And we're just so thankful, God, that you love us with your grace. But God, as much as you love us, you refuse to keep us this way or, or let us stay this way. You want us to keep moving forward. You want us to become more like you. And God, I just ask that you would help us to, to throw everything down that holds us back from that. If it's pride that gets in the way, God, may we lay our pride down. If it's, if it's pain, God, can we just surrender that and lay that at your feet? God, whatever it is that is testing us and trying us, God, help us to surrender that to you. Help us to keep moving forward to fully put our trust in you. God, we love you. We praise you. We just ask you to meet us in a special way in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen.